we know that you wanted to be at the Fight Laugh Feast Conference, but you can't come all the days. We have a day pass where you can come on Saturday where you get to hear great speakers like Pastor Doug Wilson, Pastor Jared Longshore, Pastor Toby Sumter, Cross Politics Live Show with Jason Woodlock and Megan Basham. Join us for the Sabbath Feast where we get to laugh with comedian John Brannion all for the low, low price of $99. Sign up for the day pass, flfnetwork.com. Looking forward to seeing you there at the conference. And uh, he's actually got the longest since, I, I believe he's probably the, the least known speaker here. So I, instead of making fun of him, I figured I'd actually read his whole bio so you know who he is and why we have him here in the first place. Um, uh, so uh, Sheriff uh, Wheeler, Daryl Wheeler, currently serving his fourth term and he's the longest serving elected sheriff in Bonner County, Idaho. That's about a couple hours north of us, uh, where we live. Sheriff Wheeler says he's been blessed to have had a variety of law enforcement experiences while serving these last 35 years. His career began in the late 1980s at the California State Legislature as a sergeant at arms. And then in 1989, he was hired as deputy for Contra Costa County Sheriff's Office in California, the last 22 years, he has been working for the people of Bonner County, so he keeps getting re-elected as sheriff in Bonner's County. Uh, during his first term in office, he was elected by his peers to serve as president of the Idaho Sheriff Association. He led the fight amongst the Idaho sheriffs to pass constitutional carry in 2016, so you can just come to our state with a gun on your hip, you know, you can even, you know, conceal carry or whatever without a license. Fantastic. Yeah. <clears throat> Sheriff Wheeler has been married. This is his best accomplishment. He's been married to his wife for 40 years. They have four children. Yes, yes, yep. Six grandchildren. Yes. And when I when I actually got arrested, I think a lot of us have kind of kind of grown this last year and, and learned a lot about our politics, our local government, and so forth. When I got arrested last. Uh, September, it became apparent how important your local sheriff is. I can't, and, and I'm still learning about why we need to be thinking in, in, thinking more local in this way. So when Sheriff Wheeler is not hanging out with his wife or playing with his grandchildren, you can find him defying tyrants like a badass. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> oh. Well, Gabe, wow, thank you for that introduction. Um, my wife can still take me, you probably know that. And you're lying if you say your wife can't take you. Uh, today I want to talk, uh, and my talk's going to be delivered into three parts. And the three parts are going to be law enforcement jurisdictions, threats to your sheriff, and solutions with examples. Uh, when I go out in the county, I'm often asked, what are the differences uh, between the sheriff and the police and the state police and the marshals and all of those kind of jurisdictions? So I think I'm going to kind of set the baseline here and start out with that and then kind of go on to the other subjects. Um, so let's talk about law enforcement jurisdictions. All right. Uh, before we get into the particulars, uh, there are various enforcement entities uh, and different duties and jurisdictions. So 
First of all, let's look at the U.S. Marshal Service. Uh, it was created in 1789 during the presidency of George Washington and operates under the direction of the Attorney General of the United States. So they serve the enforcement arm of the United States federal courts, and the primary responsibility is to protect the judges, and these days they need them, uh, the court personnel, operate federal witness protection program, transport federal prisoners throughout the U.S., and execute federal warrant arrest warrants. And the U.S. Marshal are ultimately accountable to the President of the United States. So next we're talking about the state police. So some of you may have state police or highway patrol. So they're organized differently in every state. Each officer has statewide arrest powers and in Idaho their primary responsibility are traffic enforcement and traffic investigation. They provide dignitary protection to the state elected constitutional officers and run the state crime laboratories throughout the state and each district has a, de a detective division uh, when requested by local law enforcement those agencies assist with criminal investigations. So the state police are answerable to the governor. It's really important as we go through who is accountable to who. Next is the city police. So they are authorized to set up a police department by state statute and they're created by the city councils. They typically only have jurisdiction and arrest powers within the city limits and they enforce state statutes, county and city ordinances and each police officer is accountable to the appointed chief of police and in turn that chief of police is answerable to the city council members. So the sheriff Come on, there we go. Come visit Bonner County if you want to see the beautiful lake. Uh, the sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer of the county. Uh, sheriffs often are uniquely different from police departments because their primary duty is to enforce all penal provisions and statutes of the state and preserve the peace. So the primary duty is uh, to prevent breaches of the peace, riots, insurrections, take all who have been arrested to the nearest magistrate, provide court security, take charge of the jail and prisoners, and process civil papers, and serve all notices mannered prescribed by law. And we also keep all the records of stolen vehicles in the county, and we oversee the registered sex offenders, and, and in Idaho, which is very unique, the sheriff runs the driver's license offices. So. Uh, don't ask me why the legislature in their wisdom decided that, but they do. And then in m many Idaho counties, the sheriff is in charge and runs the 911 dispatch. And, and I, in Bonner County, we have the largest amount of water in the state, and we have the largest uh, marine division in the state of Idaho. Um, it's really beautiful. So. Uh, an interesting fact um, is that there are over 3,000 elected sheriffs throughout the United States. And, uh, and less than 50, just 55% of all those sheriffs employ 25 sworn officers or less. Um, it kind of gives you an idea of the sheriff's office around. So the role of the sheriff uh, is very important distinction because the sheriff is the only member of law enforcement community 
that is directly accountable to you, the people. And that makes a difference. Um, there is no lawful authority for any judge or any court to direct the law enforcement activities of a county sheriff. He's not part of the judiciary. In the end, the sheriff is the highest government authority in the county. He's higher than the governor, and he's even, even higher than the president of the United States. So it's this fact alone that gives your sheriff more latitude than others in law enforcement. And if your sheriff doesn't know that, you need to tell him that. So today I want to talk just a few minutes about threats to the sheriff. Uh, did you know what the, legal, what the number one threat to your elected sheriff is? So that the slide is kind of a hint. Um, regional government. So what exactly is regional government? Uh, regional government is not only a way to consolidate and centralize equipment, but it's the way to eliminate your duly elected sheriff and county governance. So several years ago, I was approached by a county commissioner, and you may have supervisors, we have commissioners in Idaho, and was asked to support a regional 911 system uh, and the equipment, and if this was accomplished, I would be sending my equipment and employees down to a county south of me. So as the sheriff of Bonner County, I asked, uh, I, I was tasked with managing our county's 911 system, so I knew that there was no way our county could safely manage the system from another location. So the pro proposal was put forward to save tax dollar monies and consolidating equipment and personnel. However, it would have created a system of taxation without proper representation. Does that sound familiar? So here in the back of me is an example of regional policing and it's called the Unified Department of Greater Great Salt Lake. Anybody from Salt Lake City or whereabouts? Uh, I don't see any hands. You're very fortunate. Um, the Metropolitan Police model of law enforcement was drastically changed the way that you are represented in your own county. So, and instead of enlarging the role of sheriffs, it actually diminishes that role. Uh, so, as of January 10th, the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Department was officially dissolved. In its place was a brand new corporation, and that was created. Uh, the private company is called the Unified Police Department of Salt Lake, or the Un Unified Police Department for short, and it's responsible for all police operations. So this is what happened. So the sheriff who was elected became the CEO of the county in answers to a board of directors and consisting of elected officials representing each participating in the community. So the board was given oversight over global and local policies to include operational, budgetary, and human resource issues. So the voters who live in a city protected by the UPD, they no longer have a direct role in electing a traditional sheriff who can and should stop 
step in when there's injustice because he's the CEO of a corporation now. Although he's still the chief officer, no county, he's just primarily a figurehead. So the moral of the story is if your sheriff ends up in a regional governance matrix, you will end up with a glorified police chief. And as your sheriff will no longer be able to interpose between you and a powerful enemy, plus the sheriff will be fired at the drop of a hat. So as most of you know, uh, cities tend to have progressive values, and while cities tend to be more liberty-minded out in the counties. So this is how I address the subject uh, in my county um, with the Metropolitan Elite Model. And so what happened was I contacted the executives, the chiefs of police in my county, and we put out a letter into the community saying that we work together as individuals and we will not uh, become like a Metropolitan Police Department because we liked all our, each his autonomy. So, yeah, that's where they signed. So, so let's, uh, besides avoiding or repelling regional government, what else do the people need to avoid? So I honestly believe that one of the biggest pitfalls in the works is the Article 5 Convention of the States. Yeah, do I have, do I have a hand? Do I have some people that... Yes, good. I fear if this is held, uh, the Second Amendment would not survive it. I do not believe our constitutional system of governing is broken. Is that hard to believe? Can you, can you believe that statement? I don't believe it's broken. Okay, so let's, let's go on, and I'm going to prove that point. Uh, therefore, I don't see a need to latch that type of millstone around each other's necks. So a constitutional convention simply cannot fix all the choices people make. So if our constitution is not broken, then let's discuss what is. Uh, the push for an Article 5 convention fails to grasp the reality, reality that we have an out-of-control Congress, we have an out-of-control president, we have an out-of-control court. So if this true, what makes you believe if we have a convention and suddenly there's a, there's a new constitution or provisions that they are going to follow it? They're not following it now. So, um, I would like to share with you just a, two books that I think are worth the read. Yeah, the first booklet, this is uh, published by the John Birch Society. It's called, What is a Constitutional Convention? And the second one is The Founder's Brilliant Solution to Big Government, which is Article 6. So, our problem is twofold. First, we are plagued by people who continue to choose government education. And second, we lack the character to operate our constitutional republic properly. Anyone know who this nice, this young gentleman is? So it was in 1996, so this is how Sheriff Wheeler started, you know, this change. Uh, it wasn't until 1996 when I was dragged to a Christian history conference in my home state of California that I was able to apply the Constitution to my role in law enforcement. 
It was there I heard Dr. Herb Titus explain the Tenth Amendment. Before this moment, my entire education had been cultivated in government schools. Shortly after, I understood the entire story on how the founders interposed themselves between a tyrannical mother country and the people with the Declaration of Independence. So it's ironic that we are guaranteed to pledge our fidelity to the Constitution when we take our oath of office, but rarely do we follow the instructions. For the past 180 years, we have ignored these instructions to our rights and they've been usurped. If we are not willing, if we are not willing to protect our rights that have, uh, to protect our legal boundaries as specified in our nation bylaws, then we can only expect disasters. So it's, due, it's the duty of the lower magistrates to protect their jurisdictions. The county must protect itself from the usurpation of the state, and the state must protect itself from the usurpation of the federal government. And this is the doctrine of interposition. According to Dr. Heard Titus, there are four types of interposition. There's political, there's legal, there's economic, and there's constitutional. So contrary to uh, what some would say that there's no silver bullet to our problem, I believe that the most effective way to combat this situation is a combined effort with the executive and legislative branches of both the state and county governments. So we need to be acting in concert. This does not mean that your sheriff cannot act alone, because your sheriff should be acting alone. But however, I believe this is the most prudent approach, working together. So now we need to look at the Constitution at Article 1. So it's the largest article, and it deals with legislative power. The legislature carries the purse, and Article 2, so is smaller, and it deals with the executive power. And the executive wields the sword. And Article 3 is smaller even yet, and it deals with the judicial power. And according to Titus, the judiciary acts as the oracle, defining law based on the Constitution. Let me translate. The representatives are the most powerful, then the president, and finally and least of these are the courts. This matrix has effectively been turned on its head in the United States. The means for the people in the states have a right to govern themselves as they see fit. So as long as it does not conflict with the Constitution, the federal government is tasked with providing our borders and the liberties of the people within our borders. So unfortunately, they are doing much more than this, as we've heard this week. And unfortunately, the governors are implementing plans of the National Governors Association instead of the will of the people at their home states. 
and it's time for the legislature and the governor and the sheriffs to uphold the will of the people in their prospective states and counties so the will of the people and perspectives in the counties in accordance to the Constitution. So the Bill of Rights, especially Amendment 9 and 10, that is in back of me. So let's talk about my experience in California and kind of relate to kind of this downfall. So in my prior pref uh, reference to California, I was an eyewitness up close and personal to the state's destruction. Um, I worked dignitary protection at the state capitol in Sacramento, and I exited right after the last shoe drops in California, which was term limits. Um, the California failed for three re reasons. They had the initiative process, they had gerrymandering, and they had term limits. So these initiatives circumvented the legislative process and burst the state's budget. Uh, gerrymandering, gerrymandering kept the, in, the worst incumbents back in their, sh sh their uh, cushy jobs, and the term limits eliminated a handful of really good legislators. So afterwards, uh, the state, they slipped into chaos. So the moral of the story is that never use power plays to solve problem that only, problems that only makes things worse. So the Federalist Paper, anyone know John Madison? The Federalist uh, 45 James Madison, who's the father of the Constitution, says, the powers delegated by the proposed Constitution are few and defined. Those which are to remain at the state governments are numerous and indefinite. In Article, instead of Article 5 Constitutional Convention to solve federal overreach, I believe that we should be focusing our attention on, clause, on Article 6, Clause 2, and apply the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Article 6 clause states that the Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be pursuant thereof, and all treaties made, or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land. In Federalist 33, Alexander Hamilton, who, was, who said that the federal acts which are not pursuant to its constitutional powers will not be merely acts of usurpation and deserve to be treated as such. And James Madison added in Federalist 46, the means of opposition is that we are powerful at a hand. The disquietude of the people, their repugnance and perhaps refusal to, co to cooperate with the officers with the offices of the union, the frowns of the executive magistracy of the state, the embarrassments created by legislative devices, which would often be added on such occasions, would present obstructions, with the federal government would hardly be willing to encounter, and the state governments, with the people on their side, would be able to repel danger. And the Second Amendment was created in our founding documents 
as part of that repelling. Clause 2 is summarily ignored in most the lesser magistrates. This is the job for all of the lesser magistrates. So not the sheriff alone. The sheriff is just part of the solution, uh, not a silver bullet. So the lesser magistrate magistrates include all elected officials of the people. Uh-oh. There we go. So, the doctrine of lesser magistrate, uh, this is the cover of the book by Matthew Terwilliger, Terwiller. Terwiller, now right. Um, uh, was birthed during the Protestant Reformation. So when Prince Frederick the Wise prosecuted Martin Luther from Charles V and Pope Leo X, uh, only one city in Germany, uh, Magdeburg, stood against religious tyranny. The Magdeburg Confession was set forth by the pastors of that city. And in the end, uh, they were free to practice their Christian faith. So, this is the question. So what can your sheriff do? So pushing back can take different forms of action. Uh, for instance, when the Brady Handbill was enacted in 1993, sheriffs several states refused to enforce it. Some of us remember that. And it sought to strike, down, strike it down as unconstitutional. So Sheriff Richard Mack of Graham, Arizona, and Jay Prince of Rivoli County, Montana, filed a lawsuit that reached the Supreme Court. And in a 5-4 decision, the court ruled that sheriffs weren't required to enforce the law because it violated the 10th Amendment. No matter what form of pushback a sheriff takes, he or she must push back against unlawful action Policy, edict, or rule. Let me repeat that. No matter what form of pushback the sheriff takes, he must push back against any unlawful action, policy, edict, or rule. So I want to share with you a, a couple of examples, five, five examples of interposition on behalf of the citizens that I serve in Bonner County. Um, some may be familiar with coordination, but in coordination with local jurisdictions against the federal government closures happened in our county. On November 29, 2011, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service tried to close off land for the purpose of claiming fictitious caribou habitat. So these caribou were roaming around and they wanted to close off the forest so that they could get along and. Uh, so in total, they wanted to close off 375,552 acres, and they were being proposed as this critical habitat. Uh, it lo was located in Bonner County, Boundary County, which was north of me, and in Ponderay County, Washington. So the Bonner County commissioners, myself, and the people of Bonner County invoked the 1976 Coordination Act. Because of this coordination, coordinated action of the people and the representatives of the people, there was no land closure at all in Bonner County. 
The neighboring county to the north of us lost acreage because they did not stand together with us. And the federal government told me that they had locked gates in these designated areas where these little caribou were living. And that I needed their permission to drive through their gates. Um, we carry chains and big bumpers to pull gates out if we need to. Um, so, yeah. so I stood up in a public meeting with the U.S. Forest Service at one of these coordination meetings, and um, I responded and said that um, I would not be asking them for permission to, to cross their, guests, their gates. Um, never ever, if I have a call for service in there, I won't be asking their permission. So they backed down and never brought up the issue again, and we go wherever we want within the confounds of Bonner County. So um, we worked in conjunction uh, with many of the civil government to accomplish this incredible feat. The, the feds normally come in, BLM or the feds or EPA, and they come in and they start saying, we're gonna initiate these closures. You as citizens need to work with your county commissioners and with your sheriff and with your city councils to make sure that they do not have a hand. And when you initiate the coordination laws, they have to meet with you and talk to you about that. It's federal law and they know it. So the next one, interesting side, is uh, the President Obama's executive actions. This is interesting. So I was elected the first time in 2008 at the same time that President Barack Obama was elected. So uh, we kind of trailed um, together and I was kind of pushing back against some of his uh, actions and I saw him when he came into office, I knew that he wanted to have an influence on gun control and on our Second Amendment rights. And so I was kind of following that and paying attention to that. So soon after that, um, after I was elected, um, he initiated his 23 executive actions, not orders, actions. And so to the constituents of my county, this is what I posted and got some interesting feedback, as you can see, but you'll find this is interesting. So before a small group of friends is what I posted, uh, I took an oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution and Idaho State Constitution and the laws of Idaho. Nowhere in my oath did I uphold, did I agree to uphold the arbitrary wishes of a president who strays outside his constitutional authority. On January 16th, it was reported in the media that President Barack Obama signed 23 executive orders. This is not so. President Obama signed 23 executive actions. There is, there, these so-called executive actions are nothing more than 23 suggestions that do not have the force of law. This is nothing more than a presidential Christmas list uh, that he passed along to Congress for their approval. So even though these executive actions do not constitute real law, the president has directed federal agencies to carry them out. He is also dovetailing his actions and attempting to restrict gun ownership by challenging the rules within the Accountable, with the Affordable Care Act. 
So I believe in the, that this order for the president to carry out his plans, he needs approval of Congress. And that's what the Constitution says. This is where you come in. I urge you to push back by contacting your Idaho legislature at all levels, state and federal. The threat to your Second Amendment rights will be mostly come in the mailbox through a questionnaire, not a knock on your door. These regulations will likely be tried to tied to federal monies and dollars sent to you as an individual, so please contact my office immediately if you are threatened. I cannot do anything if I don't know what's happening. Above all, keep your cool. I will come when you call. You can be assured my office will uphold and protect your Second Amendment rights, Sheriff Darrell Wheeler. So if you know what happened soon after that, you started getting surveys at the doctor and they started asking you, how many firearms do you have in your home? Do you remember that? And the, the whole question there, and that was part of the Affordable Care Act. You know, the, the, the federal government wants to know uh, what you have. So uh, an incident sprung forth um, as a result of the executive actions that he made to, um, to his federal agencies. So this is something happened to me um, on August 6, 2015. So seven in the morning, I'm sitting at home with my bride and I'm having coffee. And I received a call from a constituent telling me that I was needed in Priest River to deal with an impending threat. So that morning I re rearranged my schedule and I traveled to Priest River to stand up in the gap for United States Navy veteran John Arnold. So I was often, I've been often asked, I said, why did it, why did you do what you did on that day? And it was simple, because it was the right thing to do. I did only what every other sheriff in this country who took an oath to uphold the Constitution should have done. I was there to make sure that Mr. Arnold's Fourth and Second Amendment's rights were not violated. When it comes to seizures of personal property, especially firearms, the Fourth Amendment of our Constitution is very clear that the law enforcement should not be enforcing federal bureaucratic orders or policies that are unlawful, which this was. He is guaranteed due process, and I'm not going to allow anyone to confiscate any of his weapons without a judge's signature Authoring, authorizing such confiscation. So, I, if anyone knows about Idaho, we, are, we were formed as a constitutional republic just as the United States was. And Article 1, Section 11 describes our, fire, our, our right to weapons. Um, it's, it's probably, I, I'd say it's the best constitution in the, of all 50 states because it guarantees no gun registration, uh, no taxes, no registration on firearms, weapons, um, no background checks, no nothing. I mean, we, when the state legislature, uh, when the state formed in 1890, they knew exactly what they were doing. So I'm very blessed to live there. So let's talk about what's happening throughout the world. 
the reopening of Idaho. Um, so after Governor Brad Little did, like every other good Democrat, uh, um, oh, that's right, he's a Republican. Democrat uh, governor did. Uh, that, was a, that was an inside voice comment. <laughs> Uh, I was compelled to send, her, send a letter to him uh, to recall the Idaho legislature so the, uh, so the issues regarding COVID-19 could be studied and debated. So that kind of set the scene here. The governor of Washington had just closed down and he was getting, our governor was getting uh, pressure from the other governors surrounding Idaho. Man, you, you gotta, you gotta, this is scary, man. This is really scary. We need to close this down and um, uh, just determine what's essential, what's not essential. And so um, I was pretty frustrated at what's going on. And so I penned a letter to the governor. And it was just a nice, friendly letter. And I was misunderstood. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, so anyway, I'd like to read that letter to you, and you decide for yourself if it was, a, if it was just a friendly letter. So I said, Dear Governor Little, uh, there is a letter circulating around the nation in response to the COVID-19 crisis written by businessman Alfie Oaks. It brings up the questions uh, in questions many important points. Number one, the, real, the reliability of the information disseminated disseminated by the World Health Organization. And boy, did they prove themselves. Our response to that information, the cause and effect devastation caused by our response and our responsibility to change the course. So in the spirit of changing the course, I am urging you to call up the full Idaho legislature and assemble them for an emergency meeting in Boise to discuss these points. I do not believe that suspending the Constitution was wise because COVID-19 is nothing like the plague. We were misled by some public health officials and now it's time to reinstate our Constitution. On Tuesday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott changed the state's course by signing an executive order giving churches back their right to assemble. In the spirit of liberty and the Constitution, you can request those that are sick to stay home, but at the same time, you must release the rest of us to go on with our normal business. Sincerely, Sheriff Darrell Wheeler. Okay. I didn't see anything offensive in that letter. <clears throat> I can tell you that um, one sad thing is um, I no longer receive Christmas cards from the governor. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> so anyway, all the things that I have done in this letter to the governor, which caused me most, uh, just a lot of grief personally. Um, so I was the first sheriff in the country, because remember, this is just the start of the lockdowns. They were all going down, happening, to publicly push back against the sitting governor. So as a result, I received multiple hope you and your family dies from COVID messages. 
Um, personal cards, how stupid I am. How can you let all these people die? How can, I mean, I had people, messages, um, swear, people swear at me. Uh, the New York Times wrote a hit piece uh, on me, completely distorting my letter. And the most uh, local reaction actually was from the medical director of cardiovascular surgery at Kootenai Health. So I'm just going to read just a, well, that was my letter, sorry. Anyway, um, just a portion of this letter. If you can believe, this is the medical director at the local hospital. Um, I realized, and he wrote to me, that I realized that the pandemic is not much of a concern to those uneducated people who believe this threat is a hoax or overblown. Uh, you know, you're all uneducated, don't you? Okay, I'm not going to make a shirt and say uneducated, okay? Um, but I want you to know that in the unlikely but possible event that either you or Sheriff Wheeler contract the coronavirus and in the less likely event that you will require hospitalization, an even less likely but possible event that you would require a ventilator, that I and my co-workers take comfort in knowing that because of your behavior, you have essentially relinquished your claim to any of those potentially scarce resources. It's probably better that the ventilator goes to a healthcare worker anyway. Wow. Okay? <laughs> um, so anyway, I took the high road. I really, no, seriously, I did. I really prayed about this and really wanted to uh, express uh, my concern to him. And, and it's not very long, but I want to just read this letter to him, to Dr. Burnett. So I said, Dr. Burnett, if I or any of my family acquired an illness a year from now, would you do no harm to us? Why should anyone ever trust their health to someone who arbitrarily determines the application of the, of the quality of medical treatment based on a difference of personal opinion on your part? I simply called for the Honorable Governor Little to, to call the legislature back into session uh, with the goal of debating the issues and the governor's actions to it. Legislators can call expert witnesses and determine the best path forward to preserve both your collective health and your rights enshrined in our Constitution. I make no claim to being a medical profession. Thankfully, my approach to carry out the duties of the sheriff is not based on capricious nature nor emotion. I and my deputies abide by the call of duty that the office receives 24-7-365. We place ourselves in a number of hazards, including medical situations daily, and will continue to do so. So, Dr. Burnett, we're both, we're both first responders as and such, and facing the dangers of this unseen, we selfishly take that challenge first for the sake and safety of those we respectfully serve in our given pr profession. As a personal pledge to you, 
you will receive the same quality of service as any other citizens of Bonner County, and I am honored to serve you today as I was my first day in office. Thank you for your consideration, Sheriff Darrell Wheeler. So the comments are still coming in. I still get those Facebook comments. Um, I, when I talk about Facebook too, and I'm, I have one more thing that I put on the Facebook to share with you before I kind of get to the last few parts of this, but um, I really, I have a Facebook page at the Sheriff's Office. Um, I do not touch it. When somebody calls me out and says that I'm a dirty um, COVID killing sheriff and all these kind of things, I will not answer it. I will not add fire to the fire. I will not add logs to the fire. I'm going to let it burn out. And I've always taken that position. So you will not see me on Facebook arguing with anybody. Um, my job is to interpose for the people and make sure that the people there are safe and that myself and my deputies who work for me uh, honor the Constitution and the liberty and the freedom that those people in Bonner County deserve. So. Well, let me talk about the mask ma mandate. Um, Gabe, you want to come up and talk about it? <laughs> no, we actually, Gabe and I became friends and started talking because of what happened uh, with him in, in Moscow. Uh, despicable. So uh, during the so-called emergency with the legislators, uh, they weren't allowed to govern. So the governor of Idaho tasked the regional health boards in the state for them to come together. Uh, so the Panhandle Regional Health Board, which represents the five northern counties in Idaho, uh, voted to make all of us wear masks. So it was, it was law. You had to wear a mask and you were, could be subject to, to a fine and six months in jail. The two representatives from my county who sat on the health board voted no, and they continue to vote no until it was finally rescinded about a month and a half ago. Uh, so I know that it's kind of hard to believe, but when the mass mandate came out, um, I had to take a position, okay? Uh, I'm going to talk a minute uh, about how important the prosecutor in your county is uh, when we think globally about how we want to change. Uh, how we can, how the sheriff can protect you. But the prosecutor in my county and I, we got together and we looked at the mass mandate and we realized it was just impossible to enforce and plus it was a violation of our rights. And both he and myself came out in public and said, listen, we're not gonna be prosecuting. No one's gonna get arrested. Uh, and it's, it's just whatever, whatever happens, no one's gonna be held accountable, kind of like our brother Gabe did down in Moscow. So, uh, so when this mass, make went out, mass mandate went out, I went straight to fa Facebook uh, like I normally do, and so this is what I said. And this was just before Thanksgiving. So, uh, the Bonner County Sheriff's Office will, will not be enforcing the mass mandate passed by the Panhandle Regional Health District. When Bonner County Dispatch receives a complaint of the suspected violation of the mass mandate from a citizen, the complainant, will be advised that the sheriff's office will not be investigating or enforcing the mass mandate. 
Dispatch will close out the call and make a record of it. And if the caller insists on speaking to a deputy, the deputy will call him or her back and state the same thing. <laughs> okay. The three police departments in my county, which are Ponderay, Priest River, and Sandpoint PD, they will have to make their own decisions regarding it and how they will enforce the mandate. Bonner County Dispatch will forward that call to the police department, and they're on their own, and they'll have to take the steps from there. So Governor Little, instead of calling up the Idaho legislature, empowered the unelected Panhandle Health District from a legislative function. The Constitution kind of, kind of fits in there again, okay? Please read what the Panhandle Health District wrote and decide for yourself how it could possibly be enforced. And I posted the, the rule that they passed. The Bonner County Sheriff's Office is working at maximum capacity on real crime and it cannot possibly and passive, cannot um, passively and actively uh, refuse to follow these types of directives. Any arrest citations that have been made, issued in the past, were related to high-profile targets, such as the Psalm Sing in Moscow, Idaho. And I believe they have nothing to do with public health. Happy Thanksgiving, Sheriff Darrell Wheeling. <laughs> So there are four issues uh, worth noting here in this mass mandate. First of all, and it's happening probably all over in the other states, not here in South Dakota, and I can say, I forgot to mention when I was introduced, that when I drove into Rapid City, South Dakota, I kind of felt like I was at home because we've had no mandates, we've, had, uh, we've just kind of been living free, and it's been really nice. But. These are the issues worth noting. Number one, the governor gave legislative power to an elected, unelected board. Two, the legislature, they were willing to come back in decision, into session, but the, the governor refused to call them back. Why? Because he's a tyrant, and he, he wants that power to control those tax dollars. Uh, that was an inside voice again. Gosh, i got to stop saying that. <laughs> The Regional Health Board uh, usurped county representation. And the fourth, sheriffs do not answer to the governor or the health board. So uh, as a result, I had no obligation as the elected sheriff to enforce the mass mandate, so I did not. The only group in law enforcement who answers to the governor is the state police. And the Idaho State Police did not take the manpower, did not have the manpower or resources to enforce the mass mandate. Not only did I not have an obligation to enforce this, but neither did the police in Idaho cities have such an obligation. Most law enforcement agencies openly declared that they were taking an educational approach to this matter, and they were describing their approach by telling not by telling the whole truth. And the whole truth was that they never had to do it and they were not under the governor's authority. Governor Little knew that they had, that what they had to do but would, was not able to assert it under the Idaho State Constitution. So he created a paper tiger 
and most of the population fell for it. I just got to share just one little story. Um, we had a, a local church in Laclede, which is a, a little city west of the, the county seat, and a woman called our a deputy on Sunday morning, and she said, told the deputy, listen, my son said on, saw on Facebook that they're going to hold services in the church in McLeod. And all of my deputies are on the same page. Deputy called her back and says, ma'am, so if you're concerned about getting COVID-19, I'd suggest you not attend. <laughs> so that's how we, that's how we handled that. So next, let's talk about county government. Now we're kind of getting down into nitty-gritty. Uh, local government at the county level is the most important. So it is the government in which we can all participate. All of you, everyone sitting here, even the children, can participate in this. Uh, while many aspire to serve as a representative at the state level, very few aspire to serve on the county level. Counties, they deal with roads, and they deal with garbage, and water systems, and land issues, along with providing resources for local courts and sheriffs. Now, there's the key. Um, it's very important for the county commissioners to be supportive of their sheriff. Uh, the greatest difficulty of a sheriff that they face in these days um, is the, the county commissioner who wants to be sheriff, and they try to exert that that power that they don't have over the sheriff. Um, and the commissioners hold the purse strings uh, for the sheriff's budget. So the number one reason for a good sheriff to retire is um, they're just sick and tired of fighting with the commissioners. So far, praise the Lord, I have lasted through six, six sets of commissioners. So I'm hoping to go through a few more. Uh, one way to do this is to run for county commissioner. So this is my charge to you. Think about running for county commissioner if you have an aptitude for it. Uh, I don't want you to run for sheriff, okay, because that's... that's the, but um, likewise, a good sheriff needs a good prosecutor. As I said before, you need a good backup. Um, and to add to a good prosecutor, you need a good coroner, one that... Um, is going to represent the people. In Idaho, only the county coroner uh, can arrest the sheriff. So um, we're at dinner. He comes to my house at dinner a lot. I mean, whatever. I, my kids go over and wash his car, you know, those kind of things. We're on really good terms. So another, another position uh, is another way to support the county sheriff is to run for precinct committeemen. Now, each county has these offices. Uh, anyone with any kind of background can do this, as long as you're 18 years and you're registered to vote. So the precinct committeeman not only sets policies within their own party, and ours is the Republican Party, uh, and, and they also are the chief net networker in their given boundaries for the, for the precinct that they serve. So networking and knowing your neighbors will make or break your ability to put people you want into office. So many precinct committeemen attend and they take their policy responsibilities seriously. However, a lot of them show for, uh, fall short in the net, networking uh, duties. 
So, let's get all hands on deck and let's go to this next section. Um, under God, there are three spheres of, of authority. The family, the church, and the state. And as I see it, there are all different roles and actions to be taken. So in the state, the sheriff is very important to maintaining and restoring liberty by interposing on behalf of his or her constituents. But you cannot expect the sheriff to carry the entire load. The legislative branch of the state and the county governments need to push back using Article 6, Clause 2. This needs to be done each time a superior governing body goes beyond the limited scope. And in the family, I want to highly recommend a book uh, that's called Live Not By Lies, A Manual for Christian Dissidents by Rod Dreher. Anybody read that book or familiar with it? Oh, yeah. Good, good. So in it, Dreher says, soft totalitarian, total, oh boy, my wife says, don't say that, you're not going to get it. <laughs> okay, she was right, she's always right. Totalitarianism exploits decadent modern man's preference for personal pleasure over principles. So including political liberties, you, there, he also goes on to say, soft totalitarianism makes use of advanced surveillance technology not yet imposed by the state, but rather welcomed by consumers as aids to lifestyle convenience. Wow. This is the book. I recommend all of you go online, not to Amazon, but something else. Um, and also, uh, all of us can apply Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies. So he points out that Alexander Solzhenitsyn, his six things, a man who refuses to live by life should and should not do. This is so important. I'm going to leave this up for a minute. You talk about taking a stand and being true to your faith and being true. I want you to look at this. You need to promise that I will not say, write, affirm, or distribute anything that distorts the truth. I will not go to a demonstration or participate in a collective action unless I truly believe in the cause. That I will not take part in a meeting in which the discussion is forced and no one can speak the truth. I will not vote for a candidate or proposal he considers to be dubious or unworthy. And these are the two things I will do. I will walk out of an event as soon as I hear the speaker utter a lie, ideological drivel, or shameless propaganda. I will not support journalism that distorts or hides the underlying facts. So let's talk about us, the church. So you've all been leading by example these last two days of biblical worship. 
I mean, what a blessing to be here and be part of this incredible weekend. Uh, Pastor David Chilton wrote that the governmental and liturgical actions of the church are the means of changing the world. I think he was right, and I pray that the church body at large figures this out soon. So in closing, as I bring the time to an end, I want to reiterate a few points. Your choice of county sheriff could be the most important vote you ever cast in an election. However, when you go to the voting booth, make sure your sheriff is able to depend on like-minded county commissioners, prosecutor, coroner, plus a large number of precinct committeemen. I urge you to push back against tyranny. Just plus unjust or unconstitutional laws, live not by lies, just as we just read there. Be true to your convictions and never, ever compromise the truth. Support your sheriff with prayers and with encouragement. You don't know how much that encourages the sheriff when they hear from their constituents. When I walk down the street and they know I'm a Christian and someone will come up, thank you, sheriff, we're praying for you. Our family prays for you. Man, that's powerful. So finally, I want to end in a word of scripture. This is Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith in which you were able to quench all the fiery darts and the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all the perseverance and supplication for the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel, that for which I am an ambassador in change, that I in it, I may speak boldly as I ought. Can you please stand a moment? Can you repeat that after me? This is a saying from George Washington on May 14, 1787. If to please the people we offer what we ourselves disapprove, how can we afterwards defend our work? Let us raise a standard to which the wise and honest can repair. The event is in the hand of God.
Thank you very much for this time, and God bless you. I'm so grateful. It is the duty of the free man to resist tyranny at every turn. Every man will either watch his freedom stripped away or take action to protect what he loves. Introducing the A3, the newest revolutionary body armor from Armored Republic. The A3 is the new standard for lightweight multi-hit body armor. A3 plates are incredibly light at 4.6 pounds. The patented design captures fragmentation while remaining multi-hit capable. The A3 will stop up to M80 ball, yet comes in at only 0.7 inches thick. The A3 is the thinnest NIJ.06 compliant or certified composite standalone plate that includes the drop test. The A3 is the first of its kind, patent pending, that combines an alloy strike face with polyethylene backing, revolutionizing body armor technology by providing strength and durability while remaining sleek and maneuverable. The A3 is the new standard in lightweight body armor. The fight against tyranny just got stronger.